In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu from Blue Wire Podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of the Limited Upside Podcast. I'm Mike Prada. Ben Epstein's on one line. It's December 1st. Ben, how are you? Doing well, Mike. Thank you, buddy. Uh, I'm ready for the season to start. Uh, I'm ready to have our great conversations that we don't plan ahead of time, like this show we're about to do with our with our dear friend uh, of the pod and as well as in life and former coworker. Although we're all former coworkers at this point, Mike Pina, who is also joining us. Mike Pina, how are you, buddy? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Love you guys. Miss you guys. <laughs> we miss Seriously. you too. We miss you too. By the way, Ben, we prepare very rigorously. Did you not forget <laughs> about that uh, planning call we had earlier this morning? The I, brainstorm yeah, session? I, my, I think my assistant may have taken it for me uh, <laughs> and I missed the notes. Um, <laughs> Uh, Mike, so that's okay. Um, our our planning uh, involves just like a, a mediocre scroll through Twitter, uh, and then hoping that the one person we want to have on actually accepts. So, uh, appreciate that, Mike. <laughs> yeah, Ma- Mike did not accept last week, so this is actually a delayed <laughs> acceptance. But it's funny you mentioned you know you're ready for the season to start. The season starts in 22 days. I, for one, am not ready for the season to start. It feels like last season just ended. So here's what I want to do on this episode. I want to kind of. I assume just like you, just like me, you guys are starting to think about this season in both basketball and real life terms. I, I think we can try to get away, understand the reality that COVID-19 is going to disrupt the season one way or another and try to forget about that as best we can. But we're starting to think about what the season might look like, things that pre-predictions almost. So here's what I want to do on this show. I want to... Th- talk about things that we are hunches that we have that we haven't really researched things that kind of feel like they may happen this year pre-predictions pre-analysis and i want to see if they hold up to scrutiny i want to sort of develop these thoughts and see if we're going to roll with them or if we're going to disprove ourselves so i've kind of asked each of you all to kind of think of some things you've been thinking about that may happen some hunches you have about the 2020-21 nba season and let's talk about them. Uh, Pray to kick it off, man. T- give us an example. You want me to kick it off? I kind of want Pina to kick it off. Pina's our oh, guest. Wow. Pina's yeah, our sure guest. Then. Let's let him kick it off. What's your hunch, um, Can I – so, like, how hot takey do you want me to be when I kick this off right now? Kick, however you want, man. Light it, light it on fire, buddy. Yeah, light it up, man. Okay. I am – so, so as you guys know, I think I have picked the Houston Rockets to win the NBA championship three off seasons in a row. And I am uh, dangerously close to making it four. No way. Um, Come on. I, I, uh, I'm semi-serious here. I, I, I love, I want to talk about Christian Wood and I think that that signing is 
I have actually done a little bit of research here, Mike. I'm sorry, but no, a little um, is fine. That that's fine. Okay, good. Um, I think the Christian Woods signing is like a splash of water in the face to a core that is aging, exhausted, obviously sick of their environment and their organization. And like, I think that the rock, how the Rockets acquired Christian Wood was, I don't want to say like brilliant. It was a pretty smart series of transactions that landed them maybe the most intriguing player on the board. And like, he's not supposed to be on a team that's as good as the Rockets are. And I just love what he does to their offense in particular. I don't know how he'll help so much on the defensive end. I think there's some room for improvement there with him. Um, But offensively, he's super intriguing. And if, uh, you know, Steven Silas kind of alters the offense a little bit and kind of how they want to play, I think that they can be super dangerous. Wow. That's a good way to kick off the hot take here. Uh, or, or I should say our <laughs> predictions or things that we will revisit in a podcast in, in maybe like four or five months. Um, it's interesting. We brought up Christian Wood last, last podcast, uh, you know, with essentially saying the pieces around Houston may have been maybe better. Now you seem to think that that's a significant upgrade as a team. This all goes into the take that all players remain the same from a superstar level, that they're going to run it back with Russ and Harden, that those personalities will be happy to be in Houston uh, for a full season. What's more likely that the Rockets have a deep playoff run or that the team is blown up? Hmm. I mean, I, I see it as like a flip of the coin personally. Mm. Um, I could see Harden being in, Brooklyn before the trade deadline easily, you know, I could see like them, you know, just looking at Brooklyn's roster, which we can pivot to in a little bit. Cause I know Mike has a take there, but do, like yes. they are, they have, they're very deep, but in a way that I don't think necessarily complements the two best players on the team necessarily. So it just like, you know, looking at tea leaves, it just makes a lot of sense for them to make a big swing right now. Um, Maybe I'm wrong on that, but also at the same time, Houston by acquiring Christian Wood by signing DeMarcus cousins, who, you know, that's a flyer, but could be something meaningful. I don't know. Um, I think that they as an organization are not just like going to roll over and accede to Harden's demands when he has two more years left in his contract. And, you can't even get off of Westbrook. So you might as well just hold on to Harden for this season. That's true. Yeah. The, the, both those things. I love the fact that there's like the opposite variable at play here. Right. Which is like that they can't get out of Westbrook's contract, but also that Harden has multiple years left so that it's like the player who you would expect to maybe move because the value is there, not moving the player who, Again, in Westbrook's case, they don't want to keep can't move. And so you almost get stuck with exactly what Pina is saying run it back because there's, there's no other option and then see how it goes. Shout it's, out, it's it's fascinating. Shout out to two guards with massive contracts making trade demands. Yeah. Westbrook yeah. and John Wall. So, all right. So let's set aside the like Harden and Westbrook wanting out. And for a second, let's set aside the, the owner is pinching pennies and there are other problems with the organization. PJ Tucker is upset, wants an extension. It seems like everybody's fed up with Daniel House. Let's let's set all that stuff aside. 
and just focus on what happened what's on the court. When we last left the Rockets, they were playing this small approach. Russell Westbrook was bombing out of the playoffs, but he had a very good run before the the lockdown. He was playing his one of some of the best ball of his career in this space out system. That system had Robert Covington as the fifth guy. It had a defense that was effective at times. I would say that they sometimes did what they were supposed to do. And then as it ended up, they basically lost to a Lakers team that I think has been proven to be a pretty big juggernaut, but also was a very specifically effective juggernaut against that style of play because they were both they were able to play small while being bigger on both ends of the floor. So that's kind of where we left off. Obviously, there's a new coach. To argue that the Rockets are going to be a lot better supposes that that Christian Wood for Covington swap is such an upgrade that I think it will cover a lot of other things that are going wrong for that team, which is like Cucker's on the decline and wants, seems to want out. Eric Gordon is on the decline. Um you, Ben, said that like, you think that makes them worse, that losing Covington was a strange move for a team trying to compete. And we were talking a little bit about what exactly is Christian Wood. And to me, like, I, everyone's really intrigued by him. He had a great end of the season. But is he going to play the five? What I'm I'm not sure exactly what we're going to get from him. You know, I guess I've, I'm still a little burdened by the kind of garbage time guy who suddenly yeah. emerges at the end of a season. Why is Christian Wood not that player that is going to suddenly all these bad habits that he had his whole career that caused him to bounce around to 700 different teams, all these sorts of now he's going back into a role where he's not the future guy, all of these elements. Why is that going? Why are those going to fade? Why, why aren't those going to fade with the Rockets? Why is what he did in Detroit, the real Christian Wood? I mean, that's a great question. I mean, once you get cut from a team in China, um, it really just lights a fire under your ass. I think that that's the situation with Christian Wood, potentially. But, I mean, he's playing on a team right now where he's kind of in a role that he will not have, like, the defensive attention on him. Like, there won't be a bullseye on his back as there was during those last 15 or so games in Detroit when he actually played exceptional basketball. Um, It seems to me like, you know, if you look at this as a glass-half-full situation, this is a player who's only 24 years old who's finally put together all of the physical abilities that he had coming out of high school into college and then all this off-court stuff kind of and his uh, inability to be a punctual human being really came back to bite him and he slid out of the draft entirely. Like, the physical tools are all there. You talked about the Laker matchup. Like, they were guarding Anthony Davis with P.J. Tucker PJ, and Anthony Davis is just shooting mid-range fadeaways over P.J. Tucker's head um, for that entire series. Um, you know, Christian Wood is not like an Anthony Davis stopper, but he is kind of physically a mirror image of Anthony Davis. So I think that for that a particular matchup, I don't think they would have gotten slaughtered in that one-on-one. Like, I don't think that the Lakers necessarily would have been able to um, 
attack with Davis the way that they did. And I looked at some of the one-on-one footage of Davis versus Christian Wood in a Lakers Pistons game earlier this season or last season. And Christian Wood like held his own for the most part and looked pretty good physically um, on both ends. So like, I don't know. I'm just intrigued by him athletically. I think as a pick and roll partner with Harden, it's, it's like miles ahead of what, Clint Capella was you can put Christian Wood in the perimeter and have him attack a closeout and get to the rim in one dribble and just flush it on someone's head like it's just a completely different type of player that Harden hasn't had since he was with Durant to be honest that I can think of and I think when we think about the Rockets and how they flamed out like as you said Mike Russell Westbrook played exceptionally well during stretches and looked like an MVP candidate last season for a little bit. Like, I, I, I mean, you know, I think that this can apply to a lot of different players and a lot of different teams, but like COVID really messed Russell Westbrook up and his D conditioning led to yes. a muscle tissue injury. And he just never was the same. And if you take away that dude's athleticism and his burst, he's garbage. And that's of what course, we saw in the playoffs. Of course he may just never be the same period because of all that. Um, here's are the Rockets going to want to go back to running a lot of pick and roll? Because, I mean, it, like you said, it seems like he's a really awesome potential pick and roll partner. But is he really an awesome guy who's going to stand around the three-point line while watching James and Russ dribble a lot? I mean, that's where I think there are questions. Like, to me, to make this work, James Harden's got to go back to being a pick and roll player again. And is he going to want to do that, particularly when he seems to want out of the situation? I'm not sure that's an ideal spot for a new coach to, to jump in there. And if you're just using Christian Wood as like a Robert Covington replacement on offense where he's standing around, I'm not sure you're really, not only you're not getting a whole lot out of him, but I don't think he's going to like that. I don't think that that's the role that they'll have for him. I'm actually uh, writing something now about Christian Wood. So I have been doing a little more than a little bit of research, Mike. Again, I apologize, but I actually used a line in my piece that I hope my editor doesn't cut, which is basically like using Christian Wood as the Rockets used Robert Covington last year would be like renting a yacht to cross the Mississippi River. Like that just doesn't make (laughs) any sense. Like what this guy can do is like you can throw him the ball in the post. He can draw two. He can make some pretty decent. He's not like a great passer, but he can make some decent decisions and you could run different types of offense through him, I think. Um, and just as an isolated isolation score, like if they do, if they do run a, a pick and roll and the defense switches, you can throw the ball down to Christian Wood and he can punish a smaller defender. Like, I think that he will take some of the physical burden off of Harden, which is a great thing for the regular season, particularly this truncated shortened regular season. And, uh, I just think it's fascinating. There's a lot of different things that Steven Silas can do that maybe Mike D'Antoni wouldn't in the past. Now the question then is, is James Harden willing to do give Christian that's Wood all a, of that? Yeah, that's, that's, that's the million That's the question. thing, because they're worse defensively now without Covington. You know, I think the go- they may be a lot better offensively, but they're definitely worse defensively. They're probably better rebounding, which you could argue that that was their biggest weakness. So maybe the Christian Wood thing is going to solve that problem, but you take away Covington's help defense, I think that makes them a lot worse. So it's an interesting thing. I mean, I'll say I'll say this much. The Rockets, if their goal was to keep this thing moving, I don't think they could have done much better than what they did this summer. 
I just don't know if that actually means they're still going to be really good. My suspicion is they'll probably, I would probably put them somewhere in the West second tier. Still a playoff team, kind of somewhere fifth, sixth, seventh, something like that. But I don't know, Ben, what is your arbiter? What is yeah. your, as the arbiter, what, what do you got here? Define that second tier. So do you think they're better than Portland next year, given Portland's moves? No. Okay. Um, Dallas? No. Ooh, okay, so we're gonna. I, I, I have Dallas on my list of teams I want to talk about. So I'm interesting. I like. I think Dallas is going to be quite good, but a lot depends. Porzingis. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Porzingis's timetable still very mm-hmm. undefined. Sometime January reevaluation or whatever. Um, okay. So then the uh, let's assume just going from last year's playoff teams, um, or I should say teams that didn't make last year, and we can cross off Golden State. It's not going to be better than. Than the Rockets, correct, Mike? I mean, we could. I want to talk about Gold State, but yeah, correct. <laughs> this is the thing. Like, I, I think Houston will be fuzzy. I think Houston. I think Houston will be better than Golden State. Yes. Okay. Again, assuming I mean, so that they, they don't make a trade, obviously. Sure, sure. So then, like Utah, is there is there first round playoff matchup four or five or is yeah, that for, where you're for the seven hundredth yeah. year in a yeah, row? Yeah, that's exactly. about right. Exactly. Um, so the more things change, the more they stay the same. Um, Pina, what was your what was your Dallas take? Uh, I, I, I kind of I'm curious about Dallas. Probably more than almost. Mm, I'm not going to say more than any other team. There's lots of teams that, that that kind of spike my curiosity, but Dallas seems like a team where we have exceedingly high expectations for what will likely be an MVP candidate who's leading their team. They had a, a fun, I mean, a different offseason. They kind of gave Lucas some different running mates in terms. And you know, I think Josh Richardson, we talked about this last pod too, but is going to be a nice complimentary piece. He's sort of the yin and yang. If you could make uh, Tim Hardaway and Josh Richardson into one player, then they'd have a really amazing, uh, you know, singular two next to, to Luca. Um, injuries being one thing, obviously, with we just mentioned Porzingis, uh, they did re sign two tiny point guards and Trey Burke and JJ Barea. So it feels like it feels like this is going to come down to Luca again, being around a triple double every night, which is totally doable. And then they could be in that call it upper second tier of the West, not Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets territory, but not too far behind. Is, is that an accurate Mike? Is that where you think they are? And then and Pina, tell me what you think is so interesting about this particular Mavericks team. Mike, I want you to go first. <laughs> I think Dallas is going to be very good next year. And I think that Dallas will be very good in the regular season, even if Porzingis is not. I Mm. think in terms of their title upside, Porzingis is very important. But, you know, I I think they may – think about it this way, right? Dallas, I think, very much underperformed their point differential. They were terrible in close games. And I think we've talked about this before. There were some reasons for that that will carry over. All the things that makes Luca really good in the first three quarters, suddenly his ball dominance becomes a little bit of a problem in the fourth. That will probably hold. But they were so bad in close games last year. So I think by point differential, they were a better team than Denver. So I think they're already starting from a high base. Outside of that, you would say that their biggest weakness was what? Perimeter defense. Right. That was their mm-hmm. biggest yeah. problem. They had Maxi Kleba guarding Kawhi Leonard because they didn't have anyone on the perimeter to do it. They, they have one defender on their roster, Dorian Finney-Smith. I really like Seth Curry. I think he's going to really help the Sixers. But Josh Richardson solves your biggest problem now. I think there was some diminishing returns with what Seth Curry brought to the table that 
they didn't need, and they need Josh Richardson a lot more, particularly if Tim Hardaway is going to be a big part of their team, which he seems like he is for better or for worse. When you put that all into account, plus you get uh, at some point Dwight Powell is going to be healthy again. At some point, Porzingis is going to be healthy again. They seem to have figured out a little bit more how to play offense. I think they're going to be pretty feisty. Like I think, I might. I think they have a really good chance. I'm, I have to kind of plot this out, but I, I think that they're going to host a home playoff game in the first round. Like I, I, I like them more than most second tier teams. I think with and you add in Luca. Um, with all the stuff they have, they made some good draft picks as well. Um, I think it's nice that they'll have Trey Burke the whole year. He fit in really well. I think that team is really is going to be really tough. I'm high on. I am. I am a Dallas optimist. Okay. I am a Dallas skeptic. I was actually text, texting with someone who uh, is in our business who is a big Dallas Mavericks fan this morning about this because he was as excited as you are, Mike, about what Dallas can be this season. Real huge fan of the Josh Richardson transaction. Um, I guess for me, I look at this roster and I'm, I'm skeptical because I think Josh Richardson is a little overrated. I think his, like I, you brought up, you know, Maxi Kleber guarding Kawhi Leonard, like Josh Richardson is not for that matchup and he's not really big enough to guard some of the better wings that they'll need to match up against in the playoffs. I know we're talking about the regular season though. I think that they, their identity was, we have the best offense of all time. We have this virtuoso young um, genius in Luca kind of running the show. I loved Seth Curry there. I thought that, um, you know, he's one of the best shooters alive. I think when you have someone like Luca who can just spray it out on kickouts and everything, having real competent knockdown shooters is critical. I don't think that I I don't think they have that necessarily anymore. And this is not even to speak of like Dwight Powell is coming off of an Achilles injury and he's a springy dive man. So I don't know what he's going to look like. Um, Chris Tapps Porzingis is this big question mark now. It seems every few months there's an injury with him. Um, don't know how his body's going to hold up. I feel like they kind of overcompensated a little bit with how they lost, which was Luka Doncic getting bullied and no one really on the roster to start. Like they signed or they acquired James Johnson, who's probably going to be in the rotation in a playoff series. Like I'm just, I don't know. The West is a monster. It would not shock me at all if this team did not make the playoffs. That would that would feel like a fair assessment. That I think would they'll surprise, make the playoffs. That would surprise me quite a bit. I like that. Missing Mike goes as high as they're going to host a home playoff game, and Pina goes to <laughs> uh, they're going to miss the playoffs. So then, who's I the West? Like, who's the West team that you really like out of that second tier? You could. I guess. I guess Houston is your too. answer. A, I, oh, first of all, what's the first tier? Can we establish yeah, the first tier? Are we the calling that Lakers, Clip, Lakers Clippers, that, right? Okay, yeah. that's it. Uh, yeah. As far as I get it, yeah. I mean, okay. I guess, I guess your answer is Houston. Well, who do I, I look? I mean, I like a lot of teams in the West, and that's probably why I can see Dallas missing it. Like, I like Portland. I like Houston. I like Denver. Um, 
I like Phoenix a lot mm. and I'm not sleeping on like, I don't, I know that the golden state warriors are just, they're in a lot of tr- trouble right now. Um, and we don't really know what they're going to look like. I'm not really willing to write them off either as I'm not saying they're a lock to make the playoffs, but I'm also saying like, because of the play-in situation, if I, if, if Steph Curry is in a play-in where his team needs to win two games or whatever it is to make the playoffs. Like I'm not betting against Steph Curry. That's just not what I'm going to do. Um, okay. So I but, think so that there's the a lot seed? of really, who's the three seed. Who's See, I, mean, I think Dallas has a really good shot at the three seed. I mean, I would, I, 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 if I had to put money on it, I would say Denver just, you know, a lot of that is on Jokic and what he looks like during the regular season and if he's in shape. But um, I think Michael Porter Jr. is going to take a step forward. Um, I think their ability to kind of like retain Millsap and then add Jamichael Green. I don't think they're going to lose that much with Jeremy Grant gone, to be honest with you, especially in the regular season. And if Gary Harris shoots the ball really well, um, as he kind of did in the last bits of the season and then you add Will Barton to what they didn't even have in the bubble like I really like Denver um they make a lot of sense to me even if Jamal Murray isn't this like flamethrower for three straight months or whatever it is but like there's only a couple teams in the west that I'm like totally writing off and obviously like OKC was in the playoffs last year they're not going to make the playoffs Sacramento's garbage the Pelicans are like interesting like I I, like it's just a lot of really Mm. Memphis like it's it's a it's tough man it's tough to say who's going to really emerge besides the two teams in LA. Yeah. It's a lot easier to cross teams off because there's only a couple in the West that probably won't be competing for that play-in game than it is to kind of define maybe even who's... Yeah, look, the Clippers could for sure, and the Lakers, this is maybe to, to switch slight topics here, but the ability, we're talking about overarching themes, how coaches and, and training staffs do use the players they have in a 72-game season, coming off of an abbreviated offseason, understanding that they need to get the most out of these guys in whatever, June, May, June of 2021, not December of 2020. As a team like the Lakers or Clippers going to do maybe more of like what a traditional Eastern Conference LeBron team did, which was like, just get me into the fucking playoffs. There's not much of a difference between who I'm playing. Home advantage could very well still be, number one, could be played in the bubble again. If we're going to be honest. <laughs> number two, could be played in front of no fans. And number three, if it's Lakers Clippers, it doesn't fucking matter anyhow because the fans are what they are in Los Angeles. So, so I'm very curious if you guys think that this is going to be uh, a, a year where the playoff seating, not the eight teams that make it, obviously that'll be as competitive as it could well, possibly be. It's actually 10 make teams the now. Because remember, well, they have to okay. play in turn. No, but that's yeah, a that's, really that's, important that's, variable, I yeah. think, in this whole thing. And so that's my question I'll pose as one of my overarching themes and pray to by all means tackle it first. Should we expect a very slow roll into this season? And and then secondarily, one where, look, the playoff seeding will just not matter. And so you will see lots of, hey, LeBron has three games this week or, you know, maybe uh, whatever, uh, called Kawhi is going to be rest or, you know, load managed in a way that might resemble more of his last year in Toronto than it would, or his year in Toronto than it would. Uh, uh, so last year then. Last. So last year. <laughs> yeah, right. So every year. Wait, so we yeah. we would, I think that some of that logic would have held up this year. And yet I, I guess because Miami was such a random uh, team that really went far, 
I guess seating didn't really matter in the bubble this year, so maybe there's something to that. But so here's my question when I when I hear this, I think the answer is yes. Obviously, COVID is going to dramatically affect everything. All the elements that you're talking about, uh, there's very clearly going to do some some to. We don't know what those are, so I, I don't really have a good. I, I I can't really say like kind of. I don't have a good handle on how that that's going to work, like sort of numerically or anything. The question I. I have for you then is what kind of suppose that there are a lot of interruptions and absences and slow rolling like who in theory what type what would that type of scenario who would benefit from that yeah I actually think that'll benefit a team like the Rockets I I feel like there's less slippage to be had there like the emphasis on showing that it still works Russ is going to try to prove that he's still you know as elite as his contract would dictate Harden doing both trying to carry a team as well as trying to show other teams, please trade for me. And then a guy like Christian Wood trying to say, look, I deserve the money and I actually have arrived. Uh, I'm not that 10 day contract summer league guy, whatever played in you know the Chinese league. Um, I think a team like that might have more of a boost, a team led by a young player, uh, one who isn't necessarily trying to take off games like a Luca, um, a team with a new coach comes to mind where there's definitely, you know, uh, importance to be placed on on how you fit within that that structure of a team i think about like as a sixers fan but i think of like an Embiid or a simmons has a lot to prove i will they manage Embiid's cardio and his you know the reps on his body yeah probably but not to the extent where, where he'll be taking significant time off um i think about teams that already have a little bit of a solidified roster and an understanding of who they are with it sounds like every team for a while you're talking about so many different types yeah. of teams that's the thing uh, well, that's I'm the thing well, so about. The, well I'm, I'm flipping so that's the thing a team who has a good understanding of where they already need to get to uh, that's the team who's going to slow roll it more. It's the, okay. the you know the Phineas Cornet opus to, to the the Latin line of the end crowns the work is probably more consistent with maybe what a uh, Brad Stevens team um, or or honestly like uh, a Spolstra team where like man Spo knows how to pull the gas off a little bit here. He probably saw that he burnt both you know the candle on both ends as as far as you could go. The memes are there with Jimmy Butler exhausted, so. Plus, they went through the top team, two teams in the East last year to get there. So uh, it's not like beating the best is necessarily uh, an inhibitor of, of the long-term success or where you, you know, net okay. out. In, in the so, so, yeah. so we don't really – I mean, that that seems like that could be a lot of teams. I mean, Pino, who do you think actually – benef- Who do you think well, would benefit from like this sort of setup? So – to get a little bit more specific using some of the traits that Ben just outlined, I think that this all benefits teams that are young, number one, and deep, number two. And so those teams that really stand out to me are Atlanta because you have Trey Young, you have a lot of positional overlap um, at you know the wing positions, the power forward position. Um, if someone, you know, if we're factoring in if someone were to get COVID and have to miss 12 days, right? And so if you're Atlanta, you can probably, there isn't much of a drop off for too many of the guys on that roster where if they were to be out for two weeks, you could slide a DeAndre Hunter in, you could slide a Cam Reddish in, a Kevin Herter, et cetera, and not be, you could have Kevin, uh, Chris Dunn uh, run the offense. It's not ideal, um, of course, but those are, I think, pretty talented pieces. Um, I think that New Orleans is another one of those teams. It's 
for the most part, young, um, pretty deep in some interesting ways and can play a lot of different lineups. Um, obviously, a Zion Ingram, um, Eric Bledsoe, just like really Steven Adams. It's like this combination of um, like, I don't want to say they're young veterans because they're both, uh, or at least Bledsoe is over 30 now, which is just a wild thing to think about, but like still springy athletic guys, I guess. And then the last team that's like sort of a surprise, even just hearing myself say them is Minnesota, which is just like stacked in all these different positions um, and also super young and could totally, and I, I, maybe, I don't, maybe not totally, they could spring and surprise some teams with the, just the baseline level of talent that they have. Malik Beasley, uh, Rubio, who has like a floor raising quality about him. Um, uh, Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell, like these guys aren't going to all play at the same time, but if one goes out, then I think that they won't have a huge problem sliding in some of the reserves in to take up some more of the slack. Okay. So young and deep is your theme. Um, I agree with deep. The thing about young, I, I get what you're, why you're saying young because they have the most to prove. Our young teams, well, be- the most to prove, but also like this is going to be a physical. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, fest. Yeah. Okay. More so than more so than that. Okay. Um, it seems to me like youth that makes sense, but youth may also be uh, a problem because you're gonna it's going to require a whole lot of discipline this year, um, and I don't just mean in off court activities, but also in sort of what you do uh, just to, th- to get through the grind. Uh, and to avoid getting infected, like I think youth may be good, may not be the best thing in the world. Like I would say that the teams that I'm looking at are the teams that have like kind of the most that's already established, so there's less sort of transition. I actually think Boston could really benefit from this setup because though they lost Gordon Hayward, they have most of their key guys back. They're not really integrating a whole lot of new players their coach has been there for a long time i actually think that they might benefit from this sort of rush condensed sort of thing um i a team like that i think denver is another you kind of know they kind of know what they're doing they've got continuity but they don't do have some youth uh i would say those sorts of teams are the ones that i'm looking at and you know it's interesting you mentioned miami is a team that will bend that will take a foot off the gas i mean it seems to me Mm -hmm. like the bubble proved that miami is really up for these sorts of situations yeah. Well, they're. Co- I mean, that's a team whose conditioning has always been at the forefront of how we talk about exposed teams and and what to you know you you know you're going to get from a Heat squad. Um, I, I mostly just thought of it as they played so much more basketball than other teams. I mean, the, this is a, one of the weirdest seasons of all time because yeah. a handful of teams haven't played since March. I mean, they haven't played a competitive game since March, and some teams just finished up in like. October, right? <laughs> you know, like that is what is like the sweet spot of, of the number of games you want to play, and that's not too many, but not too few. Is it like if you lost in the second round of the playoffs? It's <laughs> if you lost in the first round. <laughs> it's, with Phoenix, it's with Phoenix. It's what Phoenix did. Phoenix had the other than the Lakers yeah. who won the championship. Phoenix had the best bubble. And that is to say they had all the optimism in the world. They got the opportunity to make a trade that could actually potentially pull, you know, uh, catapult them into um, the a playoff comp, a competitive, you know, conversation, if not a playoff team, for sure. They, they got to have all the good and the one bad is something that actually built them a lot of like 
public liking and like love. Yeah. Like they became a more popular, you know, franchise by going eight and zero, keeping the mystery layer there. They didn't do anything to fail out. They just I agree. Out of games, you know. Yeah, Phoenix and I think Portland as well, kind of mm-hmm. similar logic. Now, it's interesting you're talking a little bit about this because I want to transition to the other thing I'm looking for is a player or a team that has a lot to prove. Not necessarily young, old, beat up, not beat up, but someone where this Clippers. season, yeah, the Clippers. Um, that's the one Sixers. team. The Sixers are another, but the yeah. one, the one player that keeps coming to mind for me. I'm going to make a very bold claim that again, I don't totally know if I believe yet because I think it depends on a lot of factors. I think this is going to be a big time bounce back and potentially MVP quality year from Kevin Durant. Despite his injuries, I think he has so much to prove this year, and he is going to be so motivated. And also, one of the other reasons I think he's going to win MVP. I mean, I, I wrote a whole piece a while on the newsletter about why I think, like, kind of mechanically, his body is going to be just fine. Why his game, though everybody every player needs a healthy Achilles, he needs it less than most, and why how that might help. I've talked. To, I, I wrote a whole story about that. But the other thing to me, too, is that the rest of that team is so unsettled. Like, my feeling is that Durant is going to carry a much heavier load than he anticipates during the regular season. I don't love the Kyrie Irving fit. I wouldn't be surprised if he they struggle or if he gets hurt. And I think he's going to be, despite his physical issues, I think he's going to be very motivated to get back into the top of that like sort of league conversation to be known as for something other than just a joiner to be able to say he carried a team. And so I think he's, when you combine that with the long time he's had off again, much longer than anyone who's ever had an Achilles issue. It's the right Achilles. So it's not the foot he plants off on a lot of his moves, some of his moves, but not a lot. Dominique Wilkins also tore the right Achilles and he came right back the next year and was awesome again. You know, near at around a similar time in his career, I think that's a big factor. Um, and then, I mean, I talked about the newsletter. I think Kevin Durant's going to have a massive year, and I don't know if that means that the Brooklyn Nets are going to be the best Brooklyn Nets they can be. But I think they will be they will be better than the team that on paper they should be because Kevin Durant will elevate it to a level that is beyond where they should go. So I think Kevin Durant is going to have a massive year. Yeah. So. I, look, Go go ahead, Pina. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, I think that Kevin – I agree with just about everything you're saying, Mike. I think that Kevin Durant is being slept on a little bit because we haven't seen him since June 2019 play basketball, which is – that's a long time. Um, I think that there's a lot of unprecedented stuff that makes me almost discount his Achilles injury as a factor here. Like I, he was technically – like physically cleared to play in the bubble and the bubble started a million, like a long time ago. So um, if you look at any of the, just the clips that are available, uh, he looks like a phenom again, you know, he's 32 years old, but his athleticism there, he's one of the best shooters of all time, period, let alone one who's seven feet tall. So I think like uh, the MVP is like the bar for him right now. Like that's what he should be shooting for. Uh I have a lot of questions about Brooklyn on the defensive end and how Steve Nash is going to like either like overcompensate or undercompensate with the lineups that he picks. And is KD going to play the five at all? Or is he, you know, uh, 
going to play front court minutes with Jeff Green in these small lineups. Like uh, I, I have some questions about Brooklyn in general and just their defense and whether it can be even league average. But for KD, like I think you're right, Mike. I think that he's going to elevate that team to a much higher level. I think once you get to the playoffs, I don't really care too much about the fit with KD and Kyrie because like scheming to stop both those guys is just impossible. I don't care what team you are. And uh, like one of them is going to get theirs in any game. So they're going to be a nightmare um, if KD looks like KD and there's no reason to believe that he won't look like KD. It's it's a good situation too, though. Even despite maybe the fit not being great with Kyrie and KD, when you want to give two the, look two of the most not in KD's case, I'm not going to call him injury prone. He had a terrible injury. Kyrie's injury prone. The ability to supplement each other, both in specific games with players taking off, keeping KDs. Again, the number one thing that comes with an Achilles injury is the swelling your biomechanics are different so like his achilles on his right leg is going to be a little thicker than his left leg that will come with a price that's just the that's just the way scar tissue works and it's just the way the lengthening of that tendon works and so the ability for them to give each other the elasticity to to be healthy i think is going to be important maybe even as much as the awkwardness of their fit goes the other direction is that they can both be lead scorers without the other when the other one takes off and they have enough pieces around them. And this is where having a, you know, hopefully a creative coach. We'll see. And I don't have any real thoughts on Steve Nash yet as a coach. I'll develop those as we see them play. Um, but yeah, you'd think that they will actually help each other stay healthier, uh, taking some, some load off of, uh, of, of the other um, as I see it. Well, I have a quick question about the nets. Um, mm-hmm. What for both of you guys, what do you think they're, I mean, you can answer either starting five or closing five. I'm very fascinated to both, but like, I guess I'll, I'll be more specific. Just the closing five. Who do you think is going to be on the floor for the Brooklyn Nets in a big game? Uh, okay, go ahead, Brady. You can go first. Uh, I think it's going to be the main guys. I think it's going to be I guess I guess what you're asking is like is it going to be any different than like sort of the starting five and I would say probably not like I think it's going to be KD at the four Karis LeVert at the three Joe Harris at the two and one of the centers probably DeAndre Jordan because he's owed entitlement minutes I I don't really see this like kind of them playing small a lot they might so so no Dinwiddie no Shamit no, I, I no, I'm not sure Shamit makes any sense. And maybe for court spacing, but they've got shooters. He's a terrible defensive player too, and undersized. Uh, no, I mean, I like Shamit. I think it's a good fit. Yeah. I like Bruce Brown too. I think that was a good pickup. I just, yeah, I don't think that they. I mean, it, the other thing too is that to Ben's point, I think that there's going to be a lot of like some guys are missing games, some guys are not missing games. There's going to be a, a lack of continuity, which is actually why I sort of have to take the way the structure the way I do. I don't have a lot of faith in that team as a whole. I think defensively they're going to be a mess, like you said. And I don't know who plays. And I I don't know about Kyrie. I don't know about Steve Nash. All I know about Steve Nash is Steve Nash is going to be great for Kevin Durant, you know, Mm -hmm. because of their Mm -hmm. prior relationship. That's what I I can think of. So it leads me to believe that that team is going to be a mess around KD and KD is going to elevate it to a really high level. And maybe the better way to phrase this take um, is that I think – the basketball internet, the basketball sort of fan base is going to remember what it's like to like Kevin Durant again. 
Let's put it this well, way. I've never I think, stopped. I think uh, he's going to be the like sort yes. of reputational comeback player of the year. You're saying basically pre like the, the Thunder version of yes. Kevin Durant. Yep, that's, that's right. what I think. That's right. I think that he's going get, to get some of that Golden State uh, yeah. stink off of him. I think he's his approval rating he will go much higher because in a way I think the weirdness of his roster will work to improve his approval rating. Hmm. So I, I have another quick quick question for you guys that's kind of related to this that I think is pretty fun. Um and maybe you guys won't agree, but it sounds like Mike at least is definitely on board here. Um, ranking the five best players in the Eastern Conference this season, I think is a really fascinating exercise. Um, you have the two-time reigning MVP who, like, I'm not saying he's the best player in the conference because Kevin Durant is in the conference right now. Um, beyond that, you have, like, I would rank them probably – uh, Katie, Giannis, and then I immediately just like my brain just turns into mush, and I want to say Jason Tatum, but I can't really, in good conscience, do that. And John Wall. Then there's then there's, <laughs> <laughs> then there's Joel Embiid, Joe Harris, Marcus Smart, etc. No, I like so it's just like I, I, like where do we where do we plug Jimmy Butler Marcus coming Smart, off that? that, that so <laughs> what about where do we plug Simmons? Jimmy? Yeah. I, I, sure. Yeah. So, I mean, like, where do you guys like stand with this? Like, who is the third best player? Who's the fourth best player in the Eastern Conference this season? Uh, looking at the teams again, look, I, I was literally going to say who's going to finish closer in the MVP uh, debate or, or, you know, whatever end of the year rankings between Tatum and KD just to get this conversation all the way, you know, twisted up because obviously Tatum's expectation now. Adam's Love expectation it. is MVP caliber player. That is, if the Celtics are going to compete for the East, that's where he's going to be. Um, you know, it, it goes without saying. That's where their investment is, obviously, with his new contract, um, which was a given. But, yeah, I look, I would put Tatum <laughs> – it's it's Tatum or Jimmy, probably, for that fit. I do think Embiid's a, the third best um, – player in the east like I, I still think Embiid ceiling is like complete dominance on both sides of the ball and i hope doc can really unlock that um on a consistent basis from him um he left a lot of meat on the bone last year and i think there's just so much more to Embiid's game than he showed and what was ultimately a very drawn out like breakup with brett brown and, and the, the overall personnel around him the sixers did everything they could to make Embiid and simmons look worse last year from a personnel standpoint we talked about josh richardson there's josh richardson Seth Curry flip in its own right kind of speaks directly to that. Right. So I think Embiid's probably three. I, I do like Jimmy um, I, uh, slightly ahead of Tatum right now. If, if for the only reason being that, that I'm not sure Tatum has that, like uh, we'll call it the leadership, uh, whatever in him yet that Jimmy does. I think Jimmy's sort of like at a throne or at least a hierarchy in the league of respect that Tatum will be at. Um, I think players, on the Celtics probably feel that way, but I would look at Tatum as being a better scorer, but probably that being the only real level he has above Jimmy, although his defense is getting better and better too. So he's probably like a year away from probably flipping that. Uh, and then I look at the rest of the teams. I don't think Beal is too far away from that fifth spot. Um, if we're going to, if we're going to talk about <laughs> an actual wizard who would make the cut there, I might have Beal as a, uh, as that fifth best, fifth best player in the East, maybe Simmons being right behind him. Okay, so great. so I think all those guys are in the picture. The the two guys, the one you mentioned at the very end that I think 
belongs to Simmons. I think actually this might be a really good year for him. Uh, in some ways, I think he benefits more from how the Sixers have been construct reconstructed than Embiid does. So I'm like kind of yeah. excited about that. Two other guys you didn't mention, and I'm not saying that they are because I I don't think they are. I think it's probably among those lists. What about Bam Adebayo, mm-hmm. who presumably will play more at the five this year during the regular season after it works so well in the playoffs? Uh, what happens to him? What's his next step? I mean, what if he starts shooting threes? What if he's yeah. developed his jump shot in some way? Uh, I don't think we should rule out the possibility that he really jumps up a tier. And then the other, and I, I'm less high on Atlanta than you are, Pina, but I think we have <laughs> to mention Trey Young. As a possibility, yeah, can sure. Yep, yep, yeah. That, that's in, this is an interesting. This is definitely one I want to revisit, like three months into this season, when we get a little bit more um, of an understanding of where teams. I mean, look, I there was a world two years ago or two seasons ago where like Oladipo was really pushing his way up into the hierarchy of the East. Now things have changed. He had a horrible injury. There's just so many of these weird little variables that can like take away. And and look. Beal had his own team last year, showed that he could score a lot of points. What does it look like with John Wall back? You'd think it would work well, right? Having well, a, if John card. Wall is back. <laughs> yeah, well, he has a trade demand uh, still pending. Good news if you're disappointed like me that the NBA season is over. Or at least it's good news for people who, unlike me, love this sport, which appears to be the majority of this country. The wait's finally over. Football is back. For now, at least, but probably for a while. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division and championship futures all day, every day. There will be a winner for the NFC East, I promise. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's Blue Wire, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Work productivity in this economy? Yep, 2020 has already reshaped how we work. Thankfully, it's almost over, although the worst may be yet to come. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so it can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. By the way, hello guys. Quality candidate here. Anyway, unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. 
And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job. That makes Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering limited upside listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts. That means more quality candidates will see it fast, including maybe me. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, we're going to get into one more question here that actually got from a listener of, of the pod, a friend of the pod. Um, but first, we're going to take a quick break uh, for our sponsors. Three, two, one. All right, cool. So uh, Ben Epstein here, got Mike Prada and Mike Pina uh, still on the pod, still still dealing with this, uh, we'll call it overarching issues, topics, uh, podcast for, for this particular show. And got, I got a good question from Andy Magnus, a friend of mine and friend of the pod or listener of the pod for a long time, uh, because we've been talking for years and years, Mike, about like rebuilds. And it became apparent that Atlanta is not, they're not looking to do a long rebuild right now. They forced this offseason, pushed them into, uh, I'm not going to say win now, but playoff now. Uh, no, it's, were, it's win uh, now. What do they say? What is yeah, that say? Is it a mandate yeah. to yeah, win? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and it, look, they finished with second to last in the East last year, behind the Pistons, ahead of the Cavs. I want to say so. Yeah, they can only go up, and they've made a number of acquisitions to to do so. And I don't want to you know screw up the framing of this question too badly, but essentially, at what point or what is like kind of the line in the sand where a team goes from like from rebuilding? to the win now. And when should that be? Because I think every team has a different, like your short answer was when the owner decides it's time to start losing <laughs> that uh, pre podcast. And that there's definitely some truth to that, but like compare the called Knicks, Hawks, Kings, and Suns, four teams going in different directions, some in the same and some in, in the opposite, but all have been around the same stratosphere of the league now for, for a number of years. Uh, and and kind of what, when is that, decision like when does that happen is it when you have a young star who says like this is the type of team i need around me or is it when you have the right amount of cap space uh or is it when you see that the the tides are turning within your conference and there's a play to be made a move to be made this is this is a this is is a question that was really relevant to the hawks i know you know you have some thoughts on this too but what I don't the answer is tricky. I mean the the real answer is yes. When your owner says you're tired of losing, um, but one of the reasons I like kind of am a little skeptical of Atlanta uh, is because of this very question. What outside of that? What exactly is the impetus to turn and kind of move into this direction? It seems to me that teams, whether they do it because they commit to a like kind of seasons long, endless escape to nowhere. Or they short circuit it because of the whims of an owner or whoever, or just they're tired of losing. The right answer seems to be you can't force it to happen. It has to happen. But unfortunately, in, in this business and in so many others, you're always artificially making 
either a rebuild or an acceleration happen. It, it doesn't ever just happen to you. Don't let it happen organically. And that's why I'm curious to hear what Pina thinks about this, because in my mind, whether the, the same criticism I would have for Atlanta is the same that I had for, I, I pick a team that's rebuilding. I know you mentioned Sacramento, New York. Who were the teams you mentioned? Um, yeah, Sacramento, New York. Phoenix was in, in a mode where they were just trying see, to figure out which pieces would stick. And then they found like, hey, we have three that stick and we're this player away and we won 34 games. Like, is there a threshold of games that even gets teams qualified into like, well, shit, we can't go backwards next season. Is it 30? Is it 35? Does it depend upon the conference you're in? It's a good question because, I mean, you, it, it, the Phoenix example is actually an interesting counterpoint. Would you say that Phoenix actively said we're winning now, or would you say that they made a couple moves to be a little more serious, but they didn't do as much as Atlanta, and then organically their young players got better? Um, mm. What is it? I mean, and so in the case of Atlanta, in the case of Phoenix, like what is there ever really a moment where you say we're it's winning time now in an ideal world? Like my answer would be no. It just sort of happens. But that's a I don't know what you think, Pina. I mean, yeah, I don't think there's an answer to this question. I I think that, or a clear one, I should say. Mm -hmm. I think that ownership is, is being realistic. Ownership decides when it's time to put your foot on the gas. And that's clearly what happened in Atlanta. They had, what, $40 million worth of cap space, something like that, maybe even more than that, heading into this offseason. And there's so many different things you can do with cap space. Like their other options are to be a dumping ground, to roll it over to 2021, to intentionally or whatever, uh, organically is probably the more uh, politically correct way to put it. But like uh, develop uh, DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish and uh, Kevin Herter around Trey Young, probably be bad again. And John Collins as well, probably be bad again and then get another high lottery pick and add him to the core right. and have all these really intriguing young players and see where that takes you. Or, um, I mean, we can't do this now, but they could have said last year was winning time and development mm-hmm. time is over. You could have gone about it sooner too. Well, or, or Adam Silver can just force out your general manager. <laughs> ah, congratulations, <laughs> Atlanta Hawks general manager, Brian Colangelo. Yeah, I was going to say. And then, <laughs> and then sprinkle some nepotism on top just for good uh, good measure. Yeah. Well, I think, like, there's all these other factors. Like, when does opportunity present itself to you to make a, a move that's not on your timeline that makes sense? Like, who is your best young player that would that is worth keeping happy like i think uh, mm-hmm. one factor here is if you're the uh if you're the atlanta hawks is like okay trey young this is just being real like trey young um his agent gets hired by clutch and immediately uh or becomes he becomes like the head of clutch basketball omar wilkes and immediately uh like Twitter is just like, okay, well, Trey Young's going to the Los Angeles Lakers. And that, that stuff is like, I'm sorry, that stuff is like real if you're an owner. And if you're Trey Young and you're Definitely. seeing that every every day and I'm on this terrible team, um, like there are things in the CBA to kind of safeguard bad teams from losing really young, important, valuable players like Trey Young. But who know, like today's NBA is a very Wild West frontier when it comes to this sort of thing. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if a player like Trey Young at some point in the future gets really disgruntled and forces his way out. Like that does not, the players have all the power right now and it's only increasing. So I think that that is a huge factor here. And then 
like one of the teams right now that I'm looking at that is really fascinating that really speaks to this question is the Oklahoma City Thunder because they can do this forever. Like they can be bad until they're just naturally good until they draft. I don't even know who's like who, that dude, Kate Cunningham. Is that his name? The number one? Yeah. Yep. They yes. could yep. draft Kate Cunningham. Then they could draft uh, Imani Bates the next year. I think he's the number one mm-hmm. prospect right now in the next draft. And then all of a sudden you're just like you're KD and Westbrook again, and you just have to get better organically. Right. Um, that could be their path. They have all these future first round picks that they could bundle for the next disgruntled superstar whenever they want to do that. They have more assets that would be attractive than anybody else. So how fast they go about it is just like, it's one of the most intriguing questions to me as an NBA observer right now. I can't wait to see what their next five years looks like. I would imagine their ownership is not interested in being terrible for five years, though. I would imagine that they're not trying to be organic about it. And that is why Sam Presti, or at least a factor, is why Sam Presti is hoarding all, as many assets as possible, as opposed to, I'm just going to be really bad and hope that the ping pong balls swing my way. Especially with the weighted lottery now. Like, it just changes that whole waiting process. Too. Right. And it's no coincidence that Sam Presti is the only general manager who has voted against lottery reform in every opportunity that mm-hmm. that has come up. Well, interesting. Oklahoma City is an interesting contrast to Atlanta because, it, I mean, from the outside looking in, it seems like both of these teams, their paths were decided by ownership, but doing two, having two very different responses to the pandemic. Atlanta saying we need to get good now. We have to presumably get some home playoff revenue. We need to sort of be relevant. We're losing our possibility of Oklahoma City saying we just got to cheap out, man. I Well, well, Mike, like I think that for Atlanta, I think Atlanta telegraphed this. And I wrote this in a piece for 538 today. I think Atlanta gave up a first round pick at the tr- last year's trade deadline before the pandemic. That's true. Yeah, that's good. For Clint point. Capella. So if you're rebuilding and you're tra- like, Trey Young's in his, his second year, he's 21 years old, you don't really make a move like that. You keep that first round pick. That's that was, a good point. Like, so I think that they kind of um, have been like, I, it doesn't surprise me. Their offseason doesn't surprise me. This mandate news does not surprise me at all. It was clear to me that they were very impatient for reasons that only the owner can answer. Um, whereas Oklahoma City, I just feel like, the draft is their only opportunity to get better. Like cap space really means absolutely nothing. Pau Gasol infamously refused to go there when KD and Russell Westbrook were like the two guys in the league. And it looked like if he went there, they would have won the championship or right. been a favorite to win the championship. So like, I, I, I think if you are building a team in Oklahoma City where free agency is an option, and honestly trading for a player who's already on a contract is – Pretty dicey too, because yeah, see, that guy George, is going to be like, I want to, yeah, see no, Paul that, George, <laughs> exactly. I think that that guy can look at his surroundings and be like, all right, as soon as my contract is up, I'm out of here. So you should trade me now. That's the right the situation that a lot of these small market teams find themselves in. So what you have to do is basically uh, draft a guy into your system. He does not see any other system, cannot compare his situation to anything else in the NBA, and you indoctrinate him into your culture. And that is what Sam Presti is going to do. We'll see how it works. I mean, I think that they could, you know, win the championship in six years. Who knows? Like, it's totally possible with how that dude is his talent evaluation and everything. But 
Um, so I think that those are two really interesting teams to talk about mm. in this discussion. Yeah, I think you mining. you actually sorry. Go ahead, ahead. Too. I, I think you actually hit on the the real answer to what was the name of our listener who sent that in? Uh, Andy Magnus. Andy, I think you hit on the real answer to Andy's question, which is the when do you know when you're supposed to rebuild? Well, it's kind of market specific. Mm-hmm. And the, there's the other factor which you didn't mention, which I think is also relevant, is Oklahoma City is the only game in town in that city, so there's less of a risk that people are going to choose a different sporting option, whereas Atlanta is competing with a whole lot else in that market. To for yeah. attention, so they theoretically, this is what is always said, and we never really get a chance to prove it because it's not like you can swap the two GMs and ownership. But Oklahoma City can take it slow for reasons that Atlanta theoretically cannot. So the answer to the question is it really depends on what your market is. I think mean, some markets simply you have different timetables for this that are independent of players, and so you have to develop a strategy that makes sense for your market and you just have to hope that your owner is right about the right market strategy for your market sometimes they are sometimes they aren't and then and then there's the knicks right well there's an ownership problem ultimately right so it's not a market issue but the knicks haven't been a a good basketball team you know in multiple way like generations now of players like through since when was when was the Hibbert block? Two thousand ten, two thousand thirteen. That was the Thir- only was thir- time. Okay, thirteen. So a long time ago, and that was the only time you know for whatever almost a half a decade before that too, right? So yeah, the Knicks are in their own little weird corner where like Brooklyn is apparently a very appealing place to play professional basketball. Pete and I know that neighborhood pretty well. It's cool. It's not the it's not middle of Manhattan. It's not the <laughs> Not Madison Square Garden. Better. Uh, it's, it's better. Yeah, it's better. It's, it's actually yeah, only, way better. Only too. the fourth biggest city in the world instead of the first. Yeah, yeah, in the country. Yeah, but the point is, like, oh, the they con- yeah. kind of find themselves at a point where I think they, I don't, I think they are trying to lose. Um, they, they clearly are signaling that they're, they're not going to be very good this year, and they just, but they then they went and drafted one of the older prospects in the first round, uh, in Ovi Toppin, who great name, and hopefully he does well. He seems like a cool story. But I always kind of feel like the Knicks are in that like weird phase where like, no, they're not Oklahoma. They can't make any of the excuses that a, a team in Oklahoma City does, but they're just as unappealing to free agents, apparently. Um, and, and their build has to be through the draft and trades. But then they did draft a, a specific unicorn player and then traded him. There, there's no logic to New York. New York is just yeah, a mess, so it's, man. Yeah. You can't apply any of that. So. All right, so shifting back to Atlanta, because, Pina, you're high on them, and I have this, like, weird nagging, like, feeling that it's not going to work, and I think it's mostly because of how inorganic it is. Um, did they – forgetting whether they did what their market was going to do anyway or whether this makes sense, like, does this feel – is this right – they basically replace all their young guys with veteran guys, and they're saying, well, it's to compliment them, blah, blah, blah. Why – is, why is this going to work and why isn't this going to work? Because I, I'm like kind of a little worried that some of those prospects are not going to get lost in the shuffle. Um, and I'm not even talking about John Collins as sort of his own challenge, but like some of those other guys, you know, Herder, Reddish, Hunter, I'm a little worried that they're going to get lost in the shuffle. Uh, and I'm not sure that I like the rapid change, even though I like some of their individual moves. 
I, I'm lower on them than you are, I think. But I'm trying to figure out if that's just because it doesn't feel right, and that's not fair of me. Do, do you, would you both think they're going to be the eight seed, though, despite lower and higher? I think they'll be in the play play-in picture. I yeah. don't know whether they're going to I think they'll make the playoffs. I think they'll make the playoffs. Yeah. I don't know whether they'll be. Um, I probably have them closer to 10 than 8. But I think they'll be in that sphere. So I guess to answer your question, Mike, like for me, it all starts with their offense. Like last year, they have a bottom five offense, um, an offense that is barely above league average with Trey Young on the floor. They're the worst three point shooting team in the entire NBA, despite generating the most wide open, uncontested three point attempts, which is really not what you want if you're an NBA team in 2020. They bring in uh, two of the best standstill three-point shooters alive in Danilo Gallinari and Bogdan Bogdanovich, two guys who are going to play a lot. John Collins shot 42% on spot-up threes last year as well. So I think that their three-point shooting, like obviously in the NBA, you get space. It just opens everything up for your offense. Trey Young, despite all of this, um, uh, managed to average 30 and nine last season, becoming an all-star at 21 years old. So I think he'll take a step forward in a more conducive environment for him. He can play off the ball a lot more with Bogdanovich handling it. He was one of the least efficient players on off ball screens last season. And he also just like never did it. So the comparison is often Steph Curry. I think if you were even just to make him more like uh, Kemba Walker, if you were to run actions for him like the Wizards did last year with Bradley Beal, just like play the guy off the ball a little bit more. He's super. He was super accurate on spot-up threes, catch-and-shoot threes, um, way more than on the pull-up threes that he's famous for. So I think like offense, um, if that offense is able to get, I think the offense is going to easily be in the top 10 next season, which is a huge jump. But um, looking at the depth and the pieces that they added in terms of shooting, like I just said, I think that it just makes everything else easier for everyone. And so like, I'm thinking they can flirt with a top five offense. I don't think they're going to actually get there, but top 10 between five and 10 is uh, enough to make the playoffs for sure. I think the defense is probably going to be a travesty, although they're not ignoring it entirely. Like Okungwu, the rookie that they drafted sixth overall is supposed, I have never watched him play basketball. Um, He's supposedly a really mobile big who can be interesting. Clint Capella has not played a minute for them and uh, was very useful in huge games against some of the best offenses in NBA history when he was with the Rockets. He can switch. He can uh, protect the paint a little bit. Um, and Chris Dunn, who I love and should have been on all defensive teams last year, will really help uh, Trey Young and have him, you know, obviously guard some of the worst players on a night in night out basis. So I think like making the playoffs is they're not a lock for sure, but I think they're going to make the probably the biggest j- jump besides the warriors and just like what they were last year to what they'll be this year. Rondo and Hunter can play some D as well. Sure. Yeah. Rondo, my no, boy, your boy, your boy, Rajon with this just like never ending career, um, which is great. Good for him. Yeah. Problem is that Rajon's got to play 72 regular season games before he gets to the part that he actually decides to play. That's uh, going to be true. more important to Atlanta than to LA. Also, Hunter's not going to play very much. Where that's my my big question really is just how the yeah. pieces, pieces actually fit together. Like I just don't understand. We're talking about Gallinari now as a sixth man, um, but then are you then playing him with John Collins in a lot of minutes? And if you do that, your defense is going to be real rough. But 
what are you doing with like I thought Cam Reddish played really well at the end of last year, and now I just don't know where when he's going to play. Like, who, where where is he going to get his minutes? Why uh, can't he? Why can't he start? Then what happens to Kevin Huerter? And what well, happens to Hunter, who you traded like seven hundred first round picks to get? Um, well, yeah, no, I think yeah, <laughs> seven hundred or or two, but yes, um, we round uh, up here. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Um, no, I mean, like this, you make like really good points. I think there's an overlap here in a lot of ways, and um, uh, it will stunt potentially stunt their development, and it could also fine tune their roles. I mean, like look at someone like like look, 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 compare them to the Celtics of a few years ago when they had all these players. Um, Jalen Brown was someone who needed to sacrifice, and even up until last season. Um, not really able to spread his wings in a way that he would like for sure. Um, but like still was able to kind of hone what he's really good at in a specific role. So I could see Hunter doing the same thing, particularly on the defensive end. Like they're not going to handle the ball as much as they would like because they play with Trey young and Bogdanovich and Rondo and et cetera. And they're not probably not going to take as many shots as they would like either, but there's different traits that I think each of them brings to the table. that can help the team if that makes any sense. And then also if someone goes down with COVID, if someone goes down with a muscle tissue injury, like those guys can step in and be pretty competent. Yeah, that all makes sense. I mean, I guess the other question then is, so if you're, you're Lloyd Pierce, who I think we all agree is like kind of a smart guy and will is going to is a good head coach certainly a great development head coach now he's thrust into a job that he wasn't hired for and if there was one issue with Atlanta offensively yeah they created a lot of the great shots but their offense was quite simple it was Trey Trey Young and high double drag pick and roll and that was mostly it um how does how does he do with the shortened camp integrating all these players and if it doesn't happen right away are they? It, what's his seat going to be like, and what's the disruption of a head coaching job they're going to be if they have if they end up making a change? Um, are they going to make further trades? I just when we talk to bring this back full circle, we talk about like COVID and sort of this issue of continuity. The Hawks have so little of it, and they have so many new pieces to integrate. I would have liked their offseason so much better if they had just signed Bogdanovich and forgot not gotten Gallinari. Um, or not traded for Capella last year. I think Bogdanovich makes a lot of sense for what they need. I think they overdid some of the other stuff because they felt like they had to spend their money. And I'm just not sure that they have the infrastructure to make all the pieces work, given that they're kind of now suddenly a very different type of team. You know, I I worry that they're going to be less than the sum of their parts during a season where it's going to be really important for you to be the sum of your whole parts. Um, so again, I still think they'll be like in the play and mix, but I think people are getting a little ahead of themselves because they brought in some new shiny pieces. And this seems to me like a year where winning free agency is going to call count for less, especially when you're talking about a team with a lot of young guys who have ambitions. Like what happens if John Collins doesn't get his contract extension and how's he, how's that going to play with him considering they signed, they traded for a center and signed a power forward. I know that they can play John Collins in multiple places, and he's a really fantastic, versatile offensive player. But how is that going to play? I just think there are a lot of chemistry questions here that I'm I'm kind of not sure how they're going to play out. 
That is all fair. I think chemistry is going to be an issue for everybody. I think that roster turnover is an issue for everybody. I agree with you, Mike, that they should have. I mean, basically, the order of operations prevented them from just signing Bogdanovich, right? Like, there's that whole situation where everyone thought he was on the Bucks, and then he's a restricted right, yeah, free that, agent, so there's time point. for Sacramento to match. And they have to, like, how it works is, you know, uh, it's not like, like, Signing someone like Gallinari, like you're on the phone with his agent and his agent says, okay, we have offers from Charlotte and New York right now. So you have two minutes to call us back and tell us what you think. Like, so it's, it's obviously more complex than that. Um, I fundamentally think that like they're, they kept all the young guys. They still have all the young guys on the team. They add these pieces who make sense in terms of diversifying your offense and trying to make life easier for your franchise player. And they're all really talented and they all seem to like fit in a way that um, is just logical as opposed to just spending money elsewhere. Like, right. So I think they targeted the players that will work with their franchise guy. And to your point, like they played a lot of high pick and roll last year with Trey, but they don't want to do that again. Like Trey Young ran more pick and rolls last season than any player in second spectrum's database right. averaged more pick and rolls. So they don't want to do that again. It's very simple. And that's why you get someone like Bogdanovich who can let Trey run off the yeah. ball and it's on those players and it's on the coach to make it work. And that's why they get paid a lot of money. Well, that's, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean that, that's the thing. The front office wants them to do that. Will Trey Young want to do that? And Will Lloyd Pierce be able to construct a system with all these new parts that actually does that? Those are where my questions lie. And to your point about the free agency, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about, I should have, of the timing of it all. But, of course, that's also why you don't necessarily make it a strategy to have one summer where you suddenly say, it's winning time, we got to get players, because you run into those whims. But I don't know. Um, Interesting, though. Uh, Before we go, does anyone have any other sort of hunches the only other one i'll throw out there is that i don't think steph curry and the warriors will ever be a top four seed again yeah okay so what i what i just heard you say is that the warriors are gonna trade steph curry is that what you just said Mike? (laughs) how how do we get steph and Embiid on the same team in philadelphia what do you think andrew wiggins what do you think andrew wiggins (laughs) yeah i uh, I'm not for him. Um, yeah. We talked yeah, a lot about Golden State last podcast, but uh, we did, we did. Poor Andrew but, Wiggins, just the brunt of so many NBA yeah. jokes from like nerds like us, um, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is fine. Which is fine. I um, have I have yeah. one last take that Ben will like. Um, Go for it. I think the best starting five in the NBA will be Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Danny Green, Seth Curry, and Tobias Harris. That's my take. Mm. I like that. I like that. In Doc's uh, press conference <laughs> I like today, that. I like that. I'm going to agree with that take. Uh, we're an hour and a half into this, but I think that's the take I've agreed the most with. Uh, I do like in Doc's press, to, a press conference today, he talked about getting Tobias to make quick decisions and shoot the ball and dribble far less. And that is just music to my, my ears because dribbling, not a strong suit, playmaking, decision-making, not a strong suit, reacting to open space – like he did with the Clippers, a strong suit. So anyhow, um, I think that, that could be. I mean, look, the Sixers had one of the best starting fives in the NBA three years ago with uh, with Dario and JJ. Um, and so there, are, you could argue there's slight upgrades, Seth being a pretty similar um, comp to, to JJ. So, um, yeah, we'll see. My, my only thing I will throw out there, I expect the 
I expect the East to be a very tight conference. I think the records are going to be extremely close this year. And there's a lot of things at play. We talked about the variables of rest and, you know, the roster composition change and new coaches and, and you name it. But I expect the East probably one through seven to be within about five, six games of each other. That, that type of tightness, um, which is great. 72 games, there's, far, there's a less opportunity to separate anyhow. Um, and so I, I think that you could see first-round playoff matchups moving up until that last week, up until even maybe the last day of the season in the East, and it will be uh, extremely competitive. West, I think there is going to be a little bit more separation, um, but ultimately we probably talked too much about the tiers that we see playing out there uh, already on this pod. But um, we'll leave it there. Uh, everyone check out uh, Mike Pina writing for what, 538 GQ. Where else can they find your work right now, Mike? Uh, that's the majority. And then I'm, cool. I, I co-host the, uh, SI open floor podcast with the great Ben Golliver twice a week. That's so right. subscribe mm. to your rival podcast, please. That's right. It's uh, all, all, uh, tides rising ships or whatever. We all, we all like rising to support each other. All boats. Yeah. In fact, uh, Mike is getting a, a new microphone from a, a fellow podcaster. So that's nice too. Uh, more to come on that. Theoretically, um, but, uh, at least here. <laughs> Theoretically, All right, everyone uh, go subscribe and check out Mike's Substack as well. Mike, what's the last thing you published on there? Uh, what is Russell Westbrook's aging going to look like? <laughs> Perfect. Anyhow, that's great. Go check out Prada's uh, Substack. He wrote something this week about uh, Russell Westbrook's aging. Will he age great like me or really poorly like Prada? We don't know. We'll figure that out as the uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what? what? I can bear- I wake up every morning and I'm sore um, from sleeping. So um, Uh Westbrook is a step ahead of me. Yeah. One of us is bald and the other isn't. It's not the one that's supposed that's aging well, according to you. Actually two, two of the three of us uh, on this podcast are bald. So take, take that Prada. What Um, am I taking? So we got two old people now. Young one. Yo, that's ages. Age and, and hair loss have nothing to do with each other, okay? Uh, I'm pretty sure that I started going involved when I was a young spry boy still. Um, Pre-Achilles you, Maybe you weren't a young spry boy when it happened. Maybe you've been aging <laughs> for a long time. We've talked about this before. I peaked when I was 13, so everything's been downhill there you since go. then. There you um, go. But that was that was the theme of my bar mitzvah peaking. Um, anyhow, uh, this was a lot of fun. Always great to have Mike Pina on. Um, pray to next time we'll have a much higher functioning uh, microphone. <laughs> but this is, of course, the Limited Upside Podcast. Oh.